Well, Isaiah 35. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 35. Reading from the ESV. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Welcome to have a seat. Lord, we pray that your word go forth in clarity and in power and truth. In Jesus' name. We catch a glimpse through Isaiah of this glorious future. This is a beautiful picture. This is what everybody longs for. Believer or non-believer, to think of some place where sighing and sorrow are no longer, a place of safety, a place of beauty. This is what everybody longs for. But we're not there yet. It's what everybody longs for, but it's not our present reality. Sometimes people try to make this reality, but they can't find it yet because Jesus is the only one who can usher in this glorious future. I had a coworker one time who didn't know the Lord, and there was some kind of news about some celebrity who, who did something self-destructive. I don't remember who it was or what it was, but we hear these events sometimes. And the coworker said to me, why would he do that? I don't get it. They have everything. But they don't, do they? They don't have everything. All the treasures of the earth at some point plateau, don't they? And it's kind of relative. I think those in the third world would look at us and say, we have everything. And then we look at the richest of the first world and we say, but they have everything. But they don't. 
but they don't. The joy of the material things plateaus at some point. It is only the glorious future that Jesus ushers in. That is the place of perfection. And we're not there yet. It's what everybody longs for, but we're not there yet. There are trials and temptations along the way. And Isaiah shows us this glimpse. And the Lord calls us to persevere in the meantime. We get a glimpse of how it turns out in the end. That's encouraging. Let this encourage your heart. As the Lord calls you to persevere, let it encourage your heart and let it strengthen you. There are trials and temptations along the way. This is what we long for. We are not there. There are trials, there are temptations, there is sorrow, there is sighing. But that where we're going, that won't be there. Eventually, that will be wiped away. We see a glimpse of the future. And the Lord calls us, in the name of that, to persevere. We're in this Advent time, a time of waiting, a time of anticipation, a time of waiting for the glorious return of the Lord. And we're called, in the meantime, to persevere. As the Old Testament saints look toward Jesus' first coming, eventually the, the biblical narrative climaxed at the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus on earth. When Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated, if you will, the <coughs> kingdom of God. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. When he comes for his second time, he consummates the kingdom of God and becomes a, 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 a reality. Oh, it is real now, but it becomes a reality that we can actually reach out and touch then. The kingdom of God is an interesting thing. It's both now and not yet. Jesus inaugurated it. He brought it forth at his first coming and then consummates it, brings it to its victorious, very present, very real state for us to see and experience at his second coming. We're in between. And even that is a blessed time to be. Some people had to live before both. Living in between is a good place to live. And we look forward to his glorious return. This brings us to Isaiah. We're looking at the ultimate healing the Messiah will bring. A healing that started, inaugurated at his first coming, consummates at his glorious return. Isaiah is an interesting book. It's an exotic text. The first 35 chapters, and that, that's where this little piece of paper comes in. The first 35 chapters are mostly poetic. And there's a lot to do with Isaiah warning people. He's giving warnings and he's giving messages of repentance. And they're mixed with this assurance of God's forgiveness and the Messiah coming. And it's an interesting book because like some other Old Testament prophecies, the prophecies sometimes take place at different times. That is, 
Sometimes there's a prophecy that's partially fulfilled in, an er in a time in history, such as what's already been fulfilled, many of them most specifically by Christ himself. And then there's also part of the prophecy that is fulfilled in the future. Here we see some of this in Christ. Some of it fulfilled in Jesus' first advent, and we wait for the glorious finishing of his second advent during our time of anticipation of Jesus' glorious return. Isaiah chapters 1 to 35, mostly poetic, and then there's a change. We have chapters 34 and 35. We're in 35 right now. And they're interesting chapters because if you go back and I won't stop you if you do this now. You can if you want. But you can always do it in the afternoon too. If you go back and read 34, 34 and 35 are interesting chapters because they kind of mirror each other. 34 is this warning, this doomsday warning. And then 35 is this glorious picture of restoration. And then as we get into chapters after that, it goes into a more historical description. It talks about Assyria taking Israel. And then it goes into more prophecies about, that apply to everybody of all time as we await, await the return of the Messiah. And now we're back in 35. A picture, a picture of the glorious healing, the glorious redemption ushered in by the Lord. We're going to look at creation redeemed, being strong and fearing not, healing now and in the future, and the way of holiness, and the wonderful redemption of the Lord. Starting verses 1 to 2, let's take a look at these again. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Those are beautiful places that are fertile and have beautiful foliage. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. When sin came into the world, we were frustrated. Our human existence was frustrated. And death was brought about. But it wasn't just human existence that was frustrated. All of creation experienced a certain frustration, a certain agony. All of creation longs to, for the glorious redemption of the Lord. Genesis 3, 17 to 19 says, after Adam and Eve committed their sin. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it and of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Creation is frustrated by the fall. 
all of creation, humans, the earth, thorns and thistles, all of creation, frustrated by the fall, in agony by the fall. But you don't have to take my word for it. It's what Paul says in Romans 8, 20 to 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Ever go for a walk and you're enjoying the beautiful creation and then alas you see some big like TV someone threw out in the woods. <laughs> it just kind of ruins the moment, doesn't it? Yes. It kind of ruins the moment. It's, it, and the, the closer you get to the mountains and the deeper into the wilderness, the, the more pure it appears. You know, I was, I was taking a train ride to Boston a while back, and I just noticed, not that it takes any genius to realize this, but it, it fits with what I'm saying. I noticed that the closer you get to the city, just the dirtier things are. The more garbage, the, the, the less, when, when you do see trees, they're sometimes surrounded by fences and, and garbage, and, and, and there's so much trash in areas. And while it's good to be good stewards of the environment, we at the same time sadly realize, in some ways, apart from the glorious return of the Lord, in some ways, it's beyond redemption. That is to say, we're never going to get all this trash cleaned up. There's never going to be a time when, when you can go to any body of water and be there for long enough, unless it's way out in the wilderness, any body of water that's anywhere near a developed area without seeing garbage floating in it. There's rubbish, hither and thither. Conservative Christians are most focused on the stewardship of the Great Commission evangelizing the lost, sometimes forget about the stewardship of the environment. One's more important than the other, for sure. The liberal Christians focus on stewardship of the environment, sometimes at the expense of ignore, ignoring the need for salvation of the lost. But at the end of it all, Jesus is going to bring total redemption, total redemption a new heaven and a new earth. Continue on in verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. This is where those little pieces of paper come in. Anxiety is not a good thing. 
It's not a biblical thing. But Israel might have had quite a reason to be anxious. The threat of Assyria loomed near them. The prophet Isaiah is warning them about, about this, this, the great impending doom they face of other nations as he's warning them to repent. And God did allow Assyria to attack them because of their stubborn ways. If you look at this little outline, that just kind of catches us up to where we are now. Starting in chapter 28, Isaiah speaks these reasons for need of repentance for Israel. And then in 34, we hear ultimately about judgment. And this is one of those things where sometimes you experience, they, might, they experience a soon-to-be judgment by Assyria, but we also know there is coming a future judgment, a future judgment of the non-believing world by the Lord. In chapter 28, Isaiah speaks against the proud crown of Ephraim. And Isaiah rebukes them for lifestyles of self-indulgence and, and a degenerate lifestyle. That was a big problem in Israel. They were living in comfort. They had this idea of, we're God's chosen people. We can relax. We can please ourselves. And that's a warning for us too, as believers, as, we, as sometimes we forget about the blood shed by Christ. Sometimes we don't forget about it maybe, but we grow complacent. We grow comfortable with the fact that the Lord's redeemed us and the pleasures of the world can seem more appealing than the Lord. And that's where the Lord says, do not worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth that moths and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for that is where your heart is. In chapter 29, the city where David encamped, Isaiah rebukes Israel for their going through the motions of religion. That can be a warning for us too, can it? We all, know, we all know that we're supposed to say, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus. We all know that we're supposed to say that. And that's a good thing to say. It's a good thing to pray about, how can I say that to a non-believer? That's a little bit of a small dwarf bunny trail. But it's just something to think about. But the point is this. The city where David encamped. In this section, Isaiah rebukes Israel for their rote religion. They go through the motions of religion. They're comfortable and they feel good about themselves because they do their religious activities. But the fact is, their hearts are far from God. Faith without works is dead. And religion doesn't count as the works. Faith without works is dead. We need to always be living it out. And, we, and we, as we come together, as, as we assemble, let's always remember to prepare spiritually for that. Be in prayer as you come to assemble. Get the, get the worldliness out of your mind. Get the list of things to do aside as we come to worship the Lord. And let that be a, a, an encouragement in your personal life too. 
Further on in chapter 29, Isaiah rebuked those who turned things upside down. This is just an overview. We don't really have time to go through like seven chapters in one message. I mean, we could, but that would be a mega message. This is just an overview. So you can see some of what, some of the mounting tension that's coming up as Isaiah eventually warns of coming destruction and then he give this, gives this glorious assurance at the same time. Those who turn things upside down, like clay that says to the potter, why did you make me like this? Like clay that thinks the potter owes it something, that clay that wants to be the boss of the potter, despite their rote religion, despite their bossy clay lifestyle, the Lord gives assurance that a Savior will come. The Lord gives assurance. Isaiah goes on to rebuke. In chapter 30, he rebukes Israel as a stubborn child with their own plans. What are their own plans? To trust in Egypt. Assyria might be coming. We'll trust in Egypt. We want something tangible. We want the here and now to trust in. Does it sound like anyone you know? <coughs> Sounds like me sometimes. Sometimes I want the here and now to trust in. <coughs> but James says, don't make, don't make plans. Don't say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city and we'll buy and sell there for a year or so and then we'll move on. But say we'll do this and that if the Lord wills it. Submit our will to the Lord. Submit our plans to the Lord. His plan is greater than ours. Many are, the man, many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And that's a good thing to rest in whenever we make plans. Subject our plans to Him. Submit our plans to Him. Say, your will, not mine. God, Isaiah again, through the Lord, or the Lord through Isaiah rather, rebukes those who go down to Egypt for help. And even so, even so they plan this, God still promises to fight for them. And then, number six, the destroyer who has not been destroyed, that's Assyria. After Assyria punishes Israel, God will avenge. He will punish Assyria. When we look at these, we see, we're, we see this Repetition of the unfaithfulness of Israel and the faithfulness of God. And when we know the Lord, a good thing to remember, a necessary thing to remember, is even when we're unfaithful, He is still faithful. Wherever you are, if you are, if you are identifying with Israel in some of these ways, and you catch yourself, yep, that's me, uh-oh. That one is too. The enemy wants to condemn, but the Lord wants to convict. The enemy wants to condemn you, make you feel guilty, making you think if you bask enough in guilt, somehow that'll make it okay. But all that does is drive you from the Lord. Because it's not our guilt that saves us. It's Christ that saves us. And if Christ has saved you, you turn, you use that conviction the enemy condemns, but the Holy Spirit convicts. 
and the Holy Spirit convicts you to go back to the Lord. And that was Isaiah's message to Israel. Here are all these ways you've gone astray, but there's always this assurance of something good coming. And we see it in a very climactic way in chapter 34 when we see, read of this, this, this great doomsday. I won't read through it right now, but, but I encourage you to do that later yourself. And then mirrored in 35, this glorious future. The Lord is so faithful. The Lord is so faithful indeed. Let's carry on through chapter 35. Israel had, had reason to be anxious. Coming Assyria, Israel grew, grew complacent. Uh, do we grow complacent? We must watch for that. We must turn to thankfulness in the Lord for what he's done for us. Do you have an anxious heart? Do you have an anxious heart? Again, if it's your own, if it's, if it's problems caused by your own fault, look to the cross. You look back to the cross, you look to the finished work, and you move forward. And that's what you do every time. Back to the cross, and you move forward. What about the future? What about things that, whether they're our own doing, or whether they're things that are completely beyond their control, anxious about the future? Is that you? Do you get apprehensive about the future? I do sometimes. This is a weak point for me. Look to the glorious future. Look to the glorious future. This is where we want to be. Isaiah 35, this glorious picture. This is where we want to be. We're not there yet, but we'll be there. When we're in Christ, we'll be there. Jesus brought forth the kingdom at his first advent, and he consummates it at the second. We'll be there sooner than we think. Whatever that means, we'll be there sooner than we think. <coughs> we have a glorious future to look to. A glorious future indeed. Someone said, Christians should be the most optimistic of people. Hmm. Anybody convicted by that? Can't argue with them, though. <laughs> Christians should be the most optimistic of people. We know how the story ends, and we're on the winning side. That's a reason to be optimistic. But it's not being optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. <laughs> Sometimes people grapple, and they just try to have an optimistic attitude. Huh, better than nothing. I'd rather be around one of those people than the opposite. But there are times when believing that just having an attitude about the cup being half full in and of the, just having faith in the cup itself isn't enough. We look to the Lord. We look to the Lord and the glorious future of the saints. We move on in verses 5 through 7. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. Whoops, that's verse 8. Pretend I ended at reeds and rushes. <laughs> 
That's the next part. We see Christ carried out healing in his earthly ministry. Sometimes in the Old Testament, God would heal. But we saw it so powerfully in Jesus when he came. When Jesus came and he empowered the, the apostles and his disciples, and we saw miraculous healing. Jesus inaugurated it at his first advent. He consummates it at the second. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We hear the prosperity teachings. And sometimes I think the prosperity teachers, they jump forth to the end. And they want to imagine it's right now. Everything's blessing and increase. Everything's healing and health and wealth and, and beauty. And everything's going to get bigger and better for everybody who knows the Lord. Uh, in, a, in a way it will. But not always yet. Some of us have lives, well, not us right in this room, but some believers have lives like Solomon, palaces, uh, lives like Job, flocks. And, and then others have simpler lives. That's the way it is. We're not here yet. We're in the in-between. But the good thing is, we have the kingdom we are, we can still live in the kingdom of God by Christ dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. We look to the glorious future. We're not there yet, but we have a glorious future to look forward to. And there, at that time, does your body feel weary? Just the other day, Lydia and I were at the gym and there was a fellow who was mentioning he's humbled by his older age. He's at, on, working out on the machines and says, I just can't do what I used to. Our human bodies are so limited. And we find that out as time goes on. But as Paul said, outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed day by day. And how do we get renewed? The renewing of our minds, the scriptures, fixing our eyes on Christ, letting him renew us. And we look to the glorious future, but we're not there yet. So take heart. Perseverance is a choice. To persevere is a choice. We await our Messiah. And we have the choice to give in to the temptations of this world, whether they be temptations of sinful pleasure, or whether they be temptations of, of bitterness when we're facing trials, or temptations of complacency just plateauing in our walk with the Lord. And you can't really plateau. Eventually you go downhill. Or do we persevere? We look forward to the return of Christ. We look forward to his glorious return and we look back to what he already did. Healing both now and in the future. And let's finish up this chapter. Verses 8 to 10. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. 
and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a glorious picture. What a glorious picture indeed. Some of this took place already. An idea of a remnant returning after Assyria and Babylon did carry away Israel to their, their lands, God did bring back a faithful remnant to the land, and there was singing and rejoicing. But there's a time, ultimately, when this will consummate with the glorious return of the Lord in an everlasting way, everlasting joy, sorrow and sighing, fleeing away. Where in the meantime, we're waiting. Right now we wait, but we're called to persevere. Here's what James says, chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We're called to persevere. We're waiting. For the glorious return of the Lord, we're called to persevere. And that with the advent of Christ, we look back to Jesus coming to earth. At this Christmas time, we look back to Jesus coming to earth, taking on human flesh. He inaugurated the kingdom of God in his first coming. He consummates it in his second coming. In the meantime, we persevere. We look to him. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to our circumstances. They both let us down. Sometimes they make us happy. Many times they let us down too. But we look to Christ for the glorious consummation, the glorious kingdom that we await at His second coming. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, oh Lord, we thank you for your wonderful your wonderful kingdom, and that you've welcomed us in as adopted children into it, that we, can, that we can seek first your kingdom even now, and there will be one day when sorrow and sighing permanently fade away. They flee away. That's a wonderful thing to look to. Thank you, Lord, for showing us how the picture turns out. And we pray that, that you would instill this into our hearts so that we don't get locked into thinking this is all the here and the now. And we pray that it would become more of a reality by your Spirit in our lives and it would affect and shape the way that we live. Lord, we commend the rest of this time that we're together to you. Bless our tithes and offerings for your kingdom's purposes. Nourish the food to our bodies and bless the fellowship that it might be a sweet aroma to you and that we may grow in love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.